0: So hello everyone. My name is Lee Nichols and I'm the Editor-in-Chief and Associate Publisher of Hydrocarbon Processing and Gas Processing and LNG Publications. And I'd like to welcome you all to another installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. Today we have a very special guest joining us, who's Leon DeBrun, who is the President and Chief Executive Officer of Loomis Technology. And Today, we're going to be discussing the newly independent company, Loomis Technology, the state of the hydrocarbon processing industry, and then the future of HBI technology licensing and much more. Um, Before we get started, though, I'd like to remind you that you can subscribe to the main column podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on the podcast's homepage, or by using your smartphone and saying, hey, Google, Alexa, or Siri, subscribe me to the main column podcast. So With that, I want to tell you a little bit more about our guest today. Leon de Bruin is the president and chief executive officer of Loomis Technology, where he's responsible for the strategic direction of the company and leading all aspects of Loomis' global performance. He also serves on the board of directors of Chevron Loomis Global, a joint venture between Chevron and Loomis. Mr. de Bruin joined Loomis in 1993, and during his career with the company, he's built executive experience in the downstream refining and petrochemicals industry through technology development and licensing, catalyst supply and engineering, procurement and construction activities. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our esteemed guests. Uh, Mr. Bruin, how are you doing today?
1: How are you, Lee? And thank you for having me here. Uh, It's really exciting to be with you on this uh, podcast. And uh, I also want to uh, say hi to all the
0: listeners. Excellent. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for your time today. So first off, uh, let's talk about the newly independent Loomis uh, technology. Um, So you You've now become an independent company after being part of a larger uh, publicly traded EPC companies for decades. So can you speak a little bit to that, you know, becoming an independent company and some of the benefits and challenges, and of course, some of the rich, interesting history of the company, because I believe y'all are well over 100 years old, correct? Right?
1: Well, not me personally, but our company <laughs> is, yeah. Uh, so we did a little bit of uh, research, Lee, and uh, we found that Walter E. Lammus founded the Lamas Company in 1907 so a bit over 100 years ago as you pointed out and uh, as we marched to our day one as an independent company uh, several of our employees got really excited and uh, consolidated our history into a book uh, that was distributed uh, among all our staff uh, on day one and it read really, that book uh, really depicts an enormously rich history that uh, Lamas had and that made Lombus uh, what it is today and so as we are now an independent company we really build on that long history uh with you know really pioneering the process industry uh, in the early 1900s uh, going into a global operation uh, you know of course the uh, the, the rise of uh, petrochemicals through uh, steam cracking and other technologies and the build out of the refining industry and, and Lummus has played a very uh, important role in in that history in the world but uh, that's also builds up uh, who we are today. Our DNA is really formed uh, because of history. Uh, We have always been very innovative, Uh, had to be because we were a small company and uh, had a role to play with our clients who were dimensions bigger and still are dimensions bigger than we were, but relied on us to help them uh, improving their assets and investing in new assets to really uh, meet the demands of the energy market. And so that DNA of innovation is still present today. And I'm very proud of what we're probably hopefully going to talk about in a few minutes too. So, you know, being independent means that on one side, you don't have the coverage of a larger parent, but on the other hand, you are in a way unshackled from the parental needs and are really driving... Uh, your business uh, purely for your own growth and your own clients. And that has really catapulted us. In the last three, four months, if you look it up, uh, Lee, you will see a, a tsunami of, of uh, announcements, whether it's technology development, new partnerships, new R&D, or new projects that we work on with our clients. And I would say, despite the market uncertainties uh, that we're facing today, and we'll, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, too, but despite all of that, uh, we're busier than ever and more inventive than ever before. And I'm I'm just proud to be leading numbers in this uh, current phase.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much. And yeah, th- I definitely want to get into some of y'all's uh, market announcements that y'all just uh, released recently. Um But I want to go back a little bit more into kind of how you view the market now because you've become an independent company during, needless to say, an unprecedented time. So I'm kind of curious... How does Lumis see the current state of the hydrocarbon processing industry, especially in the wake of COVID 19 and then all of the challenges that have been brought on by the pandemic? Yeah, so clearly there, there's nobody on this planet who is not affected by
1: the combination of COVID 19 and the uh, market instability that really went hand in hand with COVID 19 uh, timing. Uh, whether you look at crude oil pricing uh, and, uh, of course, the Uh, that we face in transportation fuels uh, were already underway but are really accelerated by uh, the effects of COVID-19. Of course much less flights, much less miles driven by cars has led to uh, a dip in uh, transportation fuel demand. Some of that will be permanent and is causing refiners to really shift their focus away from transportation fuels to other products that are of value. And you you see some refinery closures, you see some repurposing refineries. We also see really investments in uh, repurposing of their existing assets into different directions. And we have a few technologies in that space, uh, for instance, helping refiners to uh, repurpose their cat crackers away from gasoline production to much more olefins, whether it's uh, propylene or other olefins. Uh, we have this, this technology together with uh, IOCL IndyMEX, which by the way, thank you uh, for giving us the best refinery technology of the year award, uh, not too long ago. Uh, but it, it's really a testament to where I think our industry is headed. Uh, repurposing of existing assets in a smart way that leads to a, a sustainable profits for the, the operators. And then it, in addition, venturing into new areas new products that are higher in demand and we we always talk about the downsides but sometimes we need to look at the upsides as well and uh, the petrochemical demand has actually been rising significantly Uh, the the shifts in consumption demand patterns uh, from the onlining of consumptive behavior has led to a change in packaging industry, which in turn affects the demand for petrochemicals. Uh, and so that creates new opportunities. And of course, as other petrochemicals are, are in higher demand, whether it's uh, due to hand sanitizer use or protective equipment uh, and some permanent increases. Uh, so I think the overall fundamentals of our industry uh, are absolutely still valid but there is a a shift I would say from some products to other products and those companies that can capitalize early enough on those shifts will have an advantage competitively over the companies that are followers and and we try to help our clients to stay ahead of that uh, demand pattern shifts.
0: Excellent yeah And, and that's kind of where I want to go with this next these next couple of questions because I want to talk to you a little bit more about the energy transition and all the different types of uh, processing technologies that kind of go into that. So I'm kind, of, I'm, I'm kind of curious. So where do you see or or what is the role of the hydrocarbon processing industry companies in the energy transition? And I guess more specifically, uh, how can technology licensors um, and developers like Loomis promote better sustainable operations for refiners, for petrochemical companies?
1: Yeah, great question, Lee. And, and I would say because of the, the events this year, that has come much more to the forefront than we would have anticipated a year ago. Uh, so uh, clearly, our technology license or as uh, and, and Lumis Technology, certainly, we, we are much more in tune with our clients than ever before. Uh, we are helping them, uh, partnering with them, uh, and have been recently uh, significantly, but, I think that is now amplified by the current situation. So I just want to call out a few examples, if you bear with me. Uh, our crude to chemicals initiative uh, that we set out about two and a half years ago, together with Aramco and uh, Chevron Longest Global, uh, is coming to fruition. And, and we're on track uh, to meet the ambitious goals that were articulated by uh, Mr. Amin Nasser back in uh, 2018. We are on track to deliver the performance, so the high yield of petrochemicals with virtually no fuels from a refinery, combined with lower CapEx, lower OPEX, and commercializing this technology in a very short time frame. We we have sold our first license and you know we, we see this partnership between operators and technology developers like ourselves uh, becoming more important to meet the shifts in the demand patterns that we just talked about. The second example that I want to call out is our collaboration that was announced today, uh, really fresh uh, between Lombus Green Circle and uh, a company called New Hope Energy through their technology branch. And that is a collaboration in waste plastics turning to petrochemicals. And this is really what we see in the next two decades. Uh, Plastics are often used as single-use and turn into waste, uh, either landfill or incineration, or worse, uh, end up in the oceans. And we see the opportunity to turn that waste plastic into a feedstock. Uh, And our partner, New Hope, has been operating on this for almost a decade. And so they have shown that it can be done sustainably and economically. And we're working with them to scale that up from their current operations, which is already, to my knowledge, the largest in North America, uh, but really adding uh, five to ten times as much of capacity. And that is a pioneering effort uh, that I think is a symptom of where the market is. The market is looking for a diversification of feedstocks. For petrochemicals, but also a solution for the growing waste plastics uh, uh, issue. And this partnership addresses both on both ends. So if you can turn waste plastic into a feedstock for a petrochemical site, you on one side solve the plastics issue. On the other side, uh, you displace fossil fuel use with a recycled hydrocarbon. And uh, that leads to a better utilization efficiency of your fossil fuels and hopefully a longer benefit of our fossil fuels in this planet. So that's the second example. And then the last one uh, is something that I might be too old for, Lee. Maybe uh, this is more for your generation. But the digitalization, uh, Industry 4.0 has really moved almost every segment uh, of business in the world. And I would say we are a little bit of a laggard. Our industry is a little bit of a laggard. but we're catching up and the digitalization is really uh, driving better asset usage so optimization of existing assets uh, safer operations uh, and also making more instantaneous uh, demand and opportunity decisions for uh, operators Uh, so we have established a joint venture alumnus digital in this space uh, that really attacks this opportunity and, and help our clients get more out of that technology. So on one side, we develop better technologies. On the second side, we look for a diversification of feedstocks and of course products. And on the third side, get more out of the assets and the technologies by uh, leveraging the, the strengths of the digitalization drive. And those all work hand in hand. And so the, the challenge is to to keep all three at a high pace moving forward. Uh, and, and we're trying to do this as best as we can at LAMAS.
0: Excellent. Yeah, And I, I do want to come back to the to the digitalization uh, aspect of it, because it is something that we've seen grow exponentially over the past few years. So I definitely want to follow up on that. I do want to go back a little bit, though, um, to talk a little uh, about the collaboration out with New Hope. Um, and of course, this new business entity that that uh, Loomis created called Green Circle. So I think it'd be curious for our listeners to know what exactly is Green Circle? And then I'm kind of, I'm curious if you can provide a brief overview of that, that initiative and then what that would mean to the hydrocarbon processing industry as a whole.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, it's, it's a fantastic uh, development uh, that we set in motion a few months ago. And uh, while we believe, we believe in the benefits of uh, sustainable technologies, We also believe that it has to make money. It has to be economically justified, uh, not just because we we want to earn a living, but also if something makes money, it will uh, enter the market much faster than if it has to be pushed and subsidized. So with that in mind, we established Green Circle as an entity, its own profit center to really develop technologies. Uh, in the sustainability, in the circular economy space, uh, to make money and have a self-propelling effect on R&D. So uh, in this portfolio, we have all aspects of the uh, circular economy as well as biofeed-based technologies. And there's plenty, as you know. We talked about uh, waste plastics to uh, petrochemical feedstock, which is a major, major underpinning of Green Circle, and that's not coincidental, our first uh, technology partnership. Uh, And uh, we have been using bio-based feedstocks uh, for some of the technologies. There was an announcement earlier this year of uh, an ethers unit, so bioethers unit. Uh, CLG for the longest time has had biofuel as a technology. But bundling this into one portfolio with the right focus, and the right research and development uh, toolkit and, and uh, resources uh, allows us to be much more focused on the, the, the growth of this space, working hand in hand with our clients, of course, and, and our technology partners. And by making sure that this is its own entity uh, and therefore makes its own profits, this, this will lead to a self propelling uh, development um, we we're also looking at carbon uh, carbon capture participating in the decarbonization uh, of our industry leveraging the gas processing knowledge that we have uh, and and I know Lee, you're familiar with the with our gas processing portfolio um, you know working together with leaders in this industry uh, helps us really contribute to what we all want to do make the planet a better place to live for all of us. At the end of the day, we all have to make money to sustain this business and attract investments in this business. And that's the intent behind uh, this focus on Green Circle as opposed to a kind of a let's do this on the side approach which most companies uh, are doing uh, today. And hopefully other companies will follow our example. And the, the, the choice of Green Circle as a name also exemplifies our intent. We, we want this to be a circle of, of partners, of technology partners. Uh, we don't want this to be just lumblers. We want to really leverage the strengths that a lot of players have in the industry and have a bit of more of an, uh, an open sourcing uh, and, and collaboration uh, with the intent to make the world a better planet together.
0: Excellent, yeah. I, I was curious about the name, how y'all chose it. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, and so let's talk then about the Green Circle Initiative. And, of course, um, you mentioned a little bit about uh, the collaboration that you're doing with New Hope Technologies, um, which, uh, for those listening, it, it's basically developing plastic waste conversion technologies, I believe, based on thermal pyrolysis. So I'm, I'm curious if you can just provide some more details about that partnership. And then, of course, what are the goals and that ultimate benefits you're trying to develop with New Hope Technologies?
1: Yeah so it, it it's fantastic uh, I I actually went to their site yesterday to to witness their operations and they have perfected the intake and sorting of plastics uh, to make it a, a uh, attractive feedstock uh, to as you say through pyrolysis oil feed uh, steam crackers or other refining petrochemical installations and uh, they they really have been operating this for about 10 years, uh, first in a, in a smaller scale, now in a commercial scale for the last year or so, and have really ambitious plans to invest, which evidence is uh, to us, uh, one, it works, two, it's economical, and three, they are driven to really make a difference in the world. And, you know, if, if you speak with, uh, with the CEO, uh, Johnny Combs, you, you will see his passion to really drive this as a business, and at the same time, make the world a better place. And that's really close to my heart. So in our partnership, we bring uh, both our strengths. So I I talked about New Hope's experience in operating uh, as well as uh, processing expertise. Uh, We of course bring our skills in scaling up technologies, uh, uh, working them into existing assets, whether it's petrochemicals or refining or putting the, the subsequent uh, processing steps uh, behind it. And so it's a natural marriage between, I would say somebody who knows everything there is to know about waste plastics processing and, and a company that knows everything there is to know about process technologies. It's a natural ma- marriage to really combine these uh, skills. And, and that's exactly what we're doing. So we're, we're really supporting them in their new investments uh, and they are supporting us in marketing this uh, across the globe. And, you know, today is day one of our uh, marketing. We're still a little early, but hopefully a year from now, Lee, you and I speak again and we say, wow, this really took off. This really had a lot of interest from the market. And we are helping our customers, uh, whether these are processing customers or waste uh, side uh, customers who want to really solve the waste plastics uh, issue and see it as an opportunity as opposed to a
0: problem. No, excellent. It, it, it's a fantastic story, so I hope I hope in, in a year we will come back and do a, a, do a follow-up. Um, I do want to ask and go back, I kind of want to go back to the, the digitalization um, aspect you mentioned, and so we've all seen what digital transformation, digital technologies can do for operators. I'm kind of curious, then, what can it do for a technology licensor? Yeah, so
1: there's a lot of aspects, early. So one thing that we really have to get our heads around. And and as I mentioned, I'm a bit, uh, I'm born in the wrong generation to really comprehend how to do it. But I I see how big data uh, can capture plants operating data from all of the live plants. And instead of using the uh, empirical equations that uh, we all learned in college, uh, we can use big data to really tell us how do plants really operate on our designs? And, you know, depending on scale and, uh, you know, of course, uh, weather conditions and everything can be factored in, but that big data is going to drive how we will design plants going forward as opposed to using empirical. Uh, So the the second is instead of uh, doing a design in a linear way, which is very common in our industry, you start with, a design basis and you work your way through simulations, process flow, sheeting, equipment design, and PNRDs and, and whatnot. And that then feeds into the EPC phase. I, I see the the power of computing to really condense that whole cycle and do basically, uh, you know, using the, the computational strengths, doing a, a rigorous design calculation of the, all of the deliverables at once, uh, including 3D models, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Another aspect, Lee, is something that we set up uh, just over a year ago in Bahrain, uh, a uh, mock-up plant operating room. So there's a there's a it's a, like a training room where operators can sit behind pl- panels that look the same as in their operating rooms in the plants, but instead of uh, having a live plan behind it, there's a computer behind those panels, and this allows them to really operate a plant in a uh, digital twin mode. It's like a, like a flight simulator, but for uh, petrochemical installations and refining installations. And it, it, it's a no-brainer. If you talk about this, people say, yes, of course. And there, there has been uh, standalone uh, simulators of plants that has never really looked like a real plant. So we really leaped forward and said, let's build a training center, co-hosted with uh, Babco, the Bahraini Uh, uh, site of course and uh, it's now a world-class training center that really capitalized on the strengths of uh, digitalization and these training centers uh, we we started it for uh, LC finding which is a very complex technology very high capital and and of course the, the risks are proportionally high the operating risk. so that helped our LC finding family of clients and we have the intent to roll this out for all of our technologies that matter. Uh, so th- there's going to be a significant step up in training of new operators or a refresher course of operators to be prepared for what-if scenarios uh, or, or non-normal emergency operations. And that hopefully leads to a safer operation of the plans and, and more uptime of plans Uh, Then you have predictive maintenance. There's so much going on 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 that side uh, in predictive maintenance, as well as in process cleaning, in process maintenance using uh, robots, using uh, the so-called creepers inside equipment, using uh, drones uh, that could never be done just by by, uh, the human hands. And that is going to lead to, again, more safe and reliable operations. And that's going to help our clients get more out of their assets. And I'm just ranting a few examples that that we are working on. And then more recently, this is where you you can turn a negative into a positive and you have a double win. COVID-19 obviously limits movement of people, uh, has an impact on where we can dispatch our staff. At the same time, our clients need to Move forward with their plants, uh, whether it's, uh, startups or or restarts after a maintenance shutdown. And so, in the last few months, we've had multiple plant startups where most of our staff were in their home offices, using wearables and other smart digital products, uh, where our our client had operators in the field wearing these these wearables, the this, the smart equipment, uh, and were in real-time contact with our engineers who normally would be on sites if it wasn't for COVID-19, but because of the situation, they were homebound and we we really linked to the, oper- the, the client's operators uh, in real-time and were able to help them start up uh, safely. And this this is done now uh, repeatedly. So th- this, there's all these uh, aspects that are developing, I would say faster in some cases, that, of course, propelled by the situation we're facing and if you can turn this negative into a positive uh, you really gain something that will post covid prove to be of value as well and and the digitalization drive is is, i think accelerated because of what we're facing
0: yeah it's pretty incredible those are some great examples i mean it's 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 amazing to me to see how quickly ingenuity can can be established especially in in the whole digitalization aspect of this of this industry i mean it, it's i incredible. agree
1: i agree and and so and coming back to your your first question even though we're uh, a company that has a uh, hundred years of history something that makes us unique is this passion to to be inventive and to find the next uh, incremental improvement and that passion for innovation really helps us through the current innovation. And you know, of course, this year is a, is a tough year for all of us, but uh, London is faring quite well through this uh, phase. And I, I like to think that uh, the, the the culture of innovation that we have uh, and the DNA that we have built up over so many years uh, really helps us here.
0: Absolutely, So, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that kind of goes into my last question. Um, And so we've known about your history, uh, the present state of the industry. So my big question is then, how do you see the HPI evolving, especially when it comes to the technology licensing? So where do you see the technology licensor 10 years, 15, 30 years down down the road?
1: Yeah, and and you cannot answer that question without looking at where is the market headed? Mm-hmm. Uh, and because we have to be in tune with what our clients are facing and, and where the market is headed such that we can provide the best benefit to our clients. And so the way I look at this, Lee, is um, we are a pretty conservative industry. It's not, not coincidental that it took us longer to introduce digitalization to a certain extent as, uh, for instance, farming. So we're a conservative industry. But on the other hand, we're also an industry that is really driven by knowledge and expertise. And, and this is, I think, where as a process licensor, uh, we can help anticipate and be prepared for where the market is headed uh, for the next uh, few decades. Uh, our clients have assets on the on the ground that are going to be around for another few decades. They, they invest for the long run, right? They, they build a new refinery or petrochemical Installation, it's for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And so there's a lot of assets on the ground that were designed with the market in mind that will be passed, with demand patterns that, that will be passed. And so repurposing those assets is going to be absolutely crucial, making sure that our clients can get the most out of the steel they already have. And whether that means a revamp or a complete repurposing to be seen, but clearly you see already uh, in the last 12 to 18 months, you see a lot of announcements where, uh, for example, refineries are really repurposed for biorefineries, or where, as I mentioned, uh, cat crackers are repurposed away from gasoline to petrochemical products, olefins. And I expect this to really play a more important role going forward, certainly for the next couple of decades, And then you you also see that while there's a a decline, relative decline at least, of transportation fuel demand versus crude production, uh, there's an increase of petrochemical product demand. So that logically leads to more crude to chemical pressure, both the push by the crude producers who want to diversify the outlets of their crude and have an inherent benefit in finding other homes for their, uh, crude oils, but also a pull by petrochemical uh, consumers because petrochemicals growth will lead to uh, feedstock competition and having a diversification of their feedstocks uh, will be beneficial for them. So you see a push in a pull that leads to uh, more crude to chemicals. And having invested heavily in the last uh, two, three years in this space, capitalizing on what we already had uh, and working well with Aramco and Chevron in this space is going to, I think, be a game changer for the next uh, 10 uh, to 20 years. And we won't be seeing do- these installations by the dozens because they are massive, they're very large, and uh, you know, I expect that it's uh, going to be a narrow space for only a few players and being there first really, I think, puts Lama's technology at the forefront of this wave. And then we talked about waste plastics, but more generally, I think the world, as we see the the growth of the population, and especially the growth of the middle class in Asia, and then, of course, population growth in in Africa for the next 10, 20 years, uh, I believe uh, predictions are that Africa will double its population in, in about 20 years, which is incredible. So that's growth of demand by the growing middle-class population is going to drive more petrochemical product demand, which is also going to drive more uh, need for feedstocks as well as production of waste streams. You cannot sustain this unless you couple those two, like we are now doing with New Hope. But there, there will be a dozen of other ways to couple waste streams into uh, circling them back into the consumption uh, cycle. And this is not just for our HBI. This is, this is going to be for all of the commodities, whether it's uh, some specialty metals or, or otherwise. Now, I cannot predict how and when this will happen, but just logic tells me that this has to happen at some point. And whoever figures out how first has an advantage, a competitive advantage. And that's why we are so bullish on this, and that's why we established Green Circle at least to play our part in this development, uh, be there early and help our clients accordingly. Uh, and then last uh, but not least, the electrification and decarbonization uh, of our society. And, you know, there's all sorts of opinions, uh, some scientific base, some not. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It matters what, uh, on one side, society pressure drives things to, and on the other side, what makes economic sense. And that is going to tell us whether uh, there will be more uh, carbon sequestration and and capture and then uh, storage somewhere or there's other ways to convert CO2 into useful products. Uh, I I like to still say we need to keep planting trees and stop cutting them down because trees have proven to convert CO2 very efficiently to uh, useful uh, fibers. But besides that, uh, our role is to figure out how can we use the CO2 molecule, uh, and storage is, I would say a last resort because it, it's kind of putting the problem away. Figuring out how we can use CO2 uh, profitably in a, in a um, I would say process prudent way is really the better choice. And that's, that's a role for us to play. And hopefully our green circle efforts are going to help with that. And, and then the electrification clearly leads to a change in demand for, uh, in example, uh, specialty Cokes, which are used in the uh, um, electrodes and, and other products that are not really produced on a large scale. But there's going to be shortage if we don't solve how to produce these specialty products. And uh, you know, we, we anticipate as we have developed our needle-coking technology, but there's other technologies that will pop up, I'm sure, to play in this space. So this decarbonization electrification uh, drives are going to be important too. And, you know, I, and This is like any forecast, right, Lee? It, it's, it's only valid for today and, and it may change, but clearly if you apply logic, there's a certain amount of predictability in, in our next uh, few decades. The, the only thing we don't know is when.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's some extremely interesting stuff, and and I really appreciate your time, Mr. Druen, for, for chatting with us uh, for this podcast. Um, I think we could probably chat with you for four or five more installments on these kinds of topics. So, uh, but we know you're a busy guy, so we really, really want to appreciate you some carving out a few minutes for us uh, for the the main column podcast.
1: My pleasure, Lee. And you know, th- this is a passionate subject for me. I could talk for hours. Uh, this is a, this is. But this is truly a a, a time where we see dramatic changes Mm -hmm. and where we can really make an impact uh, to the market and to society if if we contribute to it right. And and Lama's technology is uh, committed to doing exactly that.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you again for your time today. And we really want to thank you for listening to Hydrocarbon Processing's latest installment of the main column. Have a great rest of your week.
1: Thank you.